Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work to get seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down the craft of proofs of concepts with filmmaker and friend Megan Ross. But before we dive in, we do want to plug that we have a monthly newsletter. It's not really new anymore, but we do have it, and it is free. And you can sign up for it at the bottom of breakingoutpod.com. Definitely hop on. We've always got some cool stuff in there, including monthly creative inspiration prompts. But enough about that. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thank you, Brie. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for having me. Also, good reminder, I didn't know you had a newsletter. and Now I'm going to subscribe because I follow you all in all the other places. So you, you got to get the, the trifecta, the Instagram, yeah. Twitter, and newsletter. Yeah. Otherwise, are you a real fan? Mm, not yet. No, well, you're not a booby. You're not an official. I'm not booby. a booby. Yes, I want to be embraced by the boobies. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good first step. So, how about you introduce yourself? Who are you, and what do you make? Yes, uh, who am I? Oh, still wondering that in my thirties. Uh, yeah, I'm, my name is Megan Ross. Uh, as mentioned, I'm a filmmaker, writer, director, producer, comedian, sometimes activist when I'm not burnt out. Uh, middle child, which explains a lot of the previous titles. Um, but yeah, I mostly make, I've basically tried every medium in comedy. So started in like sketch, improv, stand-up, humor essays, um, then finally got into sitcom writing, feature writing, abandoned that, and then focused again on late night stuff. When I moved to Austin, I, I started in New York, moved to Austin and got into film here. Cause I was like, I have all this stage show stuff. And, you know, we would film the late night show but it like live production is rough and we we always try to improve it but it's rough yeah it's a whole other animal yeah I'm like I have a I have some humor essays I have some like written stuff and then I have some scripts that'll never see the light of day like I need to have something I can actually freaking show that's like this is my tone this is the work I'm trying to uh, go for so I uh, made my first short in 2018 only wanted to be a writer producer asked my friend to direct it Maggie Berger shout out um, and she was like, nope, you're directing. Thus, I became a director. <laughs> and I love it even more than producing. But uh, yeah, so now I'm mostly doing, I would say a mix of like shorts, comedy shorts, sometimes dark um, comedy, and then half hour sitcoms is like the space I'm trying to play in. So trying to position myself as a TV writer slash director, knowing that the director piece is a lot more ambiguous and how to pursue that. And I know you guys did an episode about that, like TV directing. So yeah. yeah, that's where I'm at. Very cool. And you're you're still based in Austin from, or you started your career in New York, but you're from Jersey. Did you go to film school? What did what was your school? Oh, you were born in New York. I guess I didn't know that. You just you and <laughs> you have such a Jersey energy. So my my parents had my older siblings in New York, lived in New York, all over. Thank God they moved because I could have been like a Staten Island baby with like a really <laughs> obnoxious accent. Um, moved to the Jersey suburbs for me. I'm the third of four. And then my mom didn't want to change her doctor. So like they commuted into the city to have me. <laughs> so I have a New York birth certificate, which I had to order online in order to renew my license in Texas because it's easier to get a gun than to get my fucking te- uh, license. Um, and but I grew up in Jersey. So I was like, grew up in Jersey, went to school, Boston University, studied um, business. So business. got my BS in BSing. Um, yeah, like I, I never 
thought of myself as a creative because I was like the one nerdy, like the smart, like not even smart, but just like the hardworking student of the family. My other siblings were in like, you know, my sisters were in like fashion and beauty. And so was my mom. My dad was in the food industry. My brother changed his major 100 times um, and eventually <laughs> landed in film. Um, and then I just always loved comedy, consumed it like at a young age, just loved like all the old, you know, TV land stuff, like weird stuff, like strangers with candy, sketchy yeah. stuff, like kids in the hall. And, but never thought I would be in that space. Like I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Uh, and then uh, that was in high school. And then I was like, no, I'm going to fall into business because my mom's like, study business that can apply to a lot of things and you're good at math. So I really did not know exactly what I wanted to do, but I just knew that I had to like be like, it just felt like I had um, the expectation to like go on and climb the corporate ladder. Sure. Shout out to my, my parents for, well, more, <laughs> mostly my mom for like instilling that, but they gave me my work ethic. So that applies to the, the film side. Then I was in, when I was in college, I started doing some comedy stuff. Like basically, and this translated to my day job where like in, in college, I hated my major so much. Like I just was not excited by my classes. I minored in advertising so that I can get some um, stuff from the comm school. And then they, they added a, a TV and film minor, but wouldn't allow me to switch. Cause they're like, I was a sophomore, maybe a junior. And they're like, you don't have time to do it. And I'm like, I will literally take classes in the summer. Like I want to, like, they just didn't allow it. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I will just get that experience outside. I studied abroad. And I think that was my first like film related internship. I interned at Universal Pictures International Office. So in my mind, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to get close to TV and film. Uh, I'll be in the marketing department, you know? And so I got to work on marketing campaigns for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Kick-Ass and the OG Despicable Me. Have not, have not <laughs> seen a single Despicable Me, um, but did an mar international marketing deck for them. And then came back um, home. And that summer, I was like trying to get an internship at NBC because this is like, the heyday of the Thursday night comedy lineup. Like basically yeah. what I didn't realize at the time is that like the office made me want to be a TV writer. I was just like, so, and, and I got into it because I thought it was a TV version of office space. Um, <laughs> and so like, I wasn't even like a genuine like UK fan or anything, but I consumed all both versions. I memorized the deleted scenes of season one and two DVD. Like I was a freak, like in mm -hmm. going from high school to college. And um, so I, so I would just like try to fill my extracurriculars and my internships with that, like TV and film education. So I interviewed at Bravo. This is also the heyday of Bravo, like Real Housewives building up. Andy Cohen went to BU in the comm school. So I was like, yeah, like I'm going to, I'm going to work in the office. I'm going to, you know, work on these cool, weird shows that are scripted, but not scripted. And I think the reason I didn't get the internship at Bravo, or at least I don't know what happened is like, that was the one time I forgot to send a thank you email. Um, and so yeah. it's kind of, but I'm glad that it didn't work out that way because the next best thing was that I got an internship at, internship at TV without pity which was owned by Bravo. 
which meant that, so it was in the 30 Rock building, but they were, you know, an independent website. It was for, for those out listening out there, TV without, I, I forgot what they, the fans were called, but basically this is like an old school, one of the first, I think, websites that would recap shows. So they did like Survivor mm-hmm. and Dawson's Creek. Um, and then they expanded into film and I got this internship. I remember it was like, I knew I was in the right place because I was able to like say that the phrase vampire porn in my interview because we're talking about true blood and I'm dating myself but um so uh I the the bonus of me getting that job not only did it like propel my comedy writing style because it was very you know snarky like I basically digested the tv news that was like twitter was becoming a thing so I had like all these lists where I just follow all of the tv news and film news and journalists and then I would recap the news every day in a snarky manner and the best part was is that we got to review Bravo shows and we could talk shit about them because we were a separate entity so like even though Bravo owned us (laughs) the perfect system yes the perfect system and so once I graduated I I thought I'd be able to go back to TV without pity it was a very small team, like four or five of us. But unfortunately, based like on the timing and someone else coming into the role, like I, there wasn't a spot for me. So the only other job I had was as a media buyer, uh, a like job offer. And so that was basically being a middleman for between the TV networks and the clients. So I was buying TV commercials, negotiating TV commercials. And I was miserable because it was like the business side of advertising. And although it was like a weird time, because like I got to go to the upfronts, which like what 22 year old in like a disgustingly designed Forever 21 dress gets to go to the upfronts, like, and um, be like mingling with like Mindy Camp, not really mingling, just like in breathing the same air. But um, (laughs) I, so, so I was miserable. My, I started uh, sketch classes then at UCB. Um, I knew I was like, just a super fan of all these things. I didn't really know where I would end up in the comedy space. I think I still was like, I'll work on the business side. Like, you know, I want to work for, at the time IFC was building up their comedy lineup. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, I didn't get a job at NBC, but yeah. So I took, started taking um, classes at UCB as one does when they're miserable um, and doesn't (laughs) realize that like that will also later on be a source of misery, but for different reasons. But it was really a changing point for me. I do have to credit the theater for that because it finally pushed me towards like, oh, I am a creator. Um, Because from sketch, I took improv to like help with my sketch writing skills. And then my boss at my day job, my first day job was like, hey, you're miserable. You should go talk to the other networks that we have relationships with and see if there's a job on the network side. Um, And that's how I ended up at Sundance TV. So like, to answer your question, no, I didn't go to film school. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's a that's a valuable story because I think totally, one of the yeah. things that we really want this podcast to do is show people how many different ways breaking in looks. And a lot of the times, even people who we would consider having broken in aren't. I guess also just for like transparency purposes, the way uh, we know Megan is because she is a fellow Seed and Spark person. She's sort of took over Christina's job when Christina left. Uh, Megan is like the, the head of the cousin title now. of Christina's yeah. job. Like I, I exactly. I, yeah. You absorbed Christina's job and someone else's job and somebody else's job, but that's your day job currently, right? That's your only day job currently. 
Yes, it's my only means of income. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable and moving on. So I want to come back to Sundance uh, for future reasons. But obviously, we are here ostensibly to talk about proofs of concept and sort of the craft of them, the strategy of them. So really briefly, before we get into the the details, can you tell us what your proof of concept is? Logline, what it's a proof of concept of? Yes. So... um... Unrelated to my day job at Sundance TV, because they, I got nothing out of that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, 2020 is when I got back into screenwriting, pandemic at blah, blah, blah. But so Sunday, I'm, I got into the Sundance Episodic Lab and in, in 2021, and I developed this new script idea. So that it's here to make friends. So an anxious, aging millennial, Arab American, Austin transplant, goes on a mission to find the platonic love of her life when she realizes she's never had one lasting female friend, but she must learn to befriend herself first. So this is actually an idea that started as a web series in 2018. And I, yeah, so the evolution of this started as a web series, applied to a a different fellowship with it, didn't get anywhere with it, put it away. And then I also, I thought, because it's such a simple concept, it's a friendship rom-com essentially, I didn't think I was ready to write it during the time that I started writing. Like I applied to the Sundance Episodic Lab with another script that like a finished script. And then they told me in the final interview, oh, you know, like you don't have to work on the script you apply with. You can bring any idea. So I pitched Here to Make Friends because I was lucky that at the moment I was in a writer's group and after the first comedy pilot I wrote in that group that did decent, like in the script competition space, I was trying to outline an, my next one. And it was going to be a half hour animated comedy, taking a, a feature that I had written years ago um, and turning it into TV show. And I was not breaking the story. Like it was not working. I kept bringing in my beachy and I don't even know if I got to outline phase, but I was not breaking the story. And I basically like ha- had this realization, like after like a tough writer's group feedback session, I was like, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing. Like it was clear, like this isn't the thing I was meant to write because in um, at the same time I was trying to break that story, I was getting so excited about this here to make friends idea and like building up an iPhone note list and a Google doc and research and like, ordering books and all that, like getting really in the weeds on it. But in my mind, I was like, here to make friends is going to be, you know, my flea bag in that it's going to be a simple concept, but I have to be a way more polished writer before I can write something so simple because simple has to be excellent. Mm -hmm. And that's why I didn't write here to make friends immediately. Um, And so it wasn't until like I was forced sort of by my writer's group, making me realize like, that's not working go write the thing you want to work. So luckily the, the timing of that and me being in like beat sheet phase by the time I had that Sundance interview was just like kismet um, because that was the idea they picked. So I developed it. I, I wrote it like basically starting from beat sheet. It's funny because I thought I had the story fleshed out and then they were like, uh, you're like, we're rebreaking this. Like, like I thought I was like farther along in the process, but it was good that I had a project so raw because some, some of the um, members of the lab were brought in like scripts they'd been working on for years, like fully fleshed. And that must've been a lot harder to let go of like characters they've lived with for so long. 
So like, I wasn't married to my project yet. So it was good for me. It was Play-Doh. Like it was good for me to like break things apart, think about things differently. Um, and basically bring in, uh, like, a it was a version two that got brought to the lab, but because of my writer's group schedule, it was a V4, but really it was like, so it's like, I've only written four drafts of the script gets brought to the lab. So these showrunners read it and then you get feedback. And that was in November, 2021. And then we come back from the lab and it's expected like, Hey, you got to like polish this script. We have a pitch parlor. It was going to be in March, got pushed to May, 2022 and like have it be in good shape. And I was so scared to like break, go back to the script. But I knew that I had to one, polish the script and get it in good shape. Cause also like, like I needed to take advantage of that opportunity with the pitch parlor. And two, I knew I wanted to shoot a short film version. Actually, I, um, early in 2022, I was still expecting to do a web series version. So I knew that I was wanted to shoot this even before it was pitched as a pilot. I was like, this is my, the, my like Austin project. Like this is the most me project. I know I want to make this a web series. I hadn't successfully made a web series. Like my very first attempt was in like 2012 with like in New York, like it was like, we made one episode and it was like, it was a two person crew. Um, so <laughs> Relatable. We've all been there. <laughs> so, so I was like, you know, I always loved web series. I used to nerd out about how like Portlandia started from Thunder Ant and Children's Hospital. Like I, I just like was like, this is the trajectory I need to put myself on. But then I was like, well, web series. One, I have less experience in producing web series and and writing web series. And two, it could be it. It seems based on the what my vision was, it'd be more expensive. So why don't I give myself, you know, the somewhat easier way out and turn it into a proof of concept short film? And what also solidified that decision is that after uh, we got back from the lab, we're polishing our pitches for the pitch parlor, uh, which I jumped into that because I was like, oh, something short form. Yes. Yeah. And like abandoned my script. So I was discovering plot beats while developing my pitch that I hadn't even introduced in my pilot. Like, and then like when I got back into the pilot, I was like, oh, this is what, how I'll, you know, so it was a backwards way of working, um, but you know, my own methods of procrastination. So uh, Sundance told us that they have some for the, for the fellows, you can apply to uh, get a little bit of grant money from the sponsors and it could go toward you just having extra money to like focus on your script, finish it up, like finishing funds, but for your script, mm -hmm. you can use it for travel. Like if you are out of state and you want to take flights to LA for meetings. And then another category was a proof of concept. And they showed a couple examples and one was Smilf. And I, and I'd never seen Smilf the series, but I knew that it, you know, had its success and it's, and it's, moment um in the in time and so they showed the short that played at sundance and it was super simple like it was one scene one location two characters and i was like oh like this could be like this this is a tonal comp for the pilot and what i learned is that um i forget the name of the creator but basically she had the pilot written already she submitted this proof of concept short to the film festival circuit it played at Sundance. And then from my understanding, like people were like, this is great. Uh, like we want to make it a TV show. And she was like, I already have the pilot script. And I think it, I think it went to FX. Maybe there was a bidding war. I don't know all the history. All I know is that it like 
set herself up to be able to sell that show as a series more easily. And also was like, because she was, I think, like a newbie to the scene relatively. I don't know if she had TV credits before that. Maybe she did, but it was her first like show she created. It allowed, it like put her front and center um, in front of like people who could make decisions about what gets put on TV. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm doing a short. Like that was the evolution of that. So it started as a web series concept put aside, became a half hour comedy short when Sundance asked you to pitch them a different thing than what they were originally interested in for the episodic lab. And then it became a short again, once you had developed it as a half hour comedy project so that you could theoretically have an easier time pitching it eventually. Is that the timeline we're looking at here? Yeah. Well, so what's funny is, um, and the web series idea. So macro, it was their first, I think it was called like a macro episodic. Like it was some macro episodic competition. It was 2018, the first time they were doing it. And it was, um, I think specific to digital and web series, if I'm understanding correctly, maybe there was long, like half hours too, but I was like, Ooh, I could like, I I only have to do like a, a pitch doc. Cool. I didn't have the script written. Um, but it was for people of color. And this was the first time I was applying to something uh, that was uh, for people of color because I check off Caucasian on all forms because I'm Syrian. Like I'm Syrian on both and all sides, but we're categorized on the census as Caucasian. And But I'm also Indonesian, like my dad's first generation Indonesian, but because I didn't grow up with that side of the family, I didn't feel like I could claim that side. Like I've never checked off Asian, um, even though we technically are. So like, I really, I I remember I was at the um, Seattle airport. I was coming back from a wedding and finishing this like on the deadline. And I was Googling like, is I literally was like, is Syrian BIPOC, is Syrian, or maybe (laughs) it's POC back then. I was like, where, where's Syria? Like, uh, like in terms of, you know, like I just did not, in, in my application, if I, I went back and read it and I, it's me literally having a meltdown being like, <laughs> I'm not sure if I could apply to this or not. And, and like referencing Aladdin. And so that became a theme in my present day pilot, because the main character, um, while the show, while it's not about her being an Arab woman, like it is very much like you know, Austin is in Texas, a blue state and a blue city in a red state. It's like, does it, and it's like changing so much. It doesn't know its identity anymore a little bit. This character is also like, what am I? Like, I can't play the Muslim card because I was raised Catholic, but I am Middle East, very Middle Eastern, but also like, like she doesn't, you know, the line I always use is like, she's too brown for the white kids, too white for the brown kids. So like that unknowingly seeped into my, um, like the, the underlying um, themes of my pilot, um, just from that first experience of trying, of like thinking like, can I even apply to this? So yeah, web series idea. Um, at one point I wanted to pitch it to Bumble BFF to like make it like a- Like a um, branded series. Like Spawn Con. Thank God <laughs> yeah. they ignored me aggressively. They're based in Austin and they've ignored me hardcore um so you know that's why I have like a made-up app friendship app in my in my uh short but um so yeah web series and I was like this is a half hour comedy and then from half hour comedy 
short film proof of concept that can li- live as a standalone. What's the runtime uh, of that version? Right now we're at 11 minutes. We're still in post. So I'm thinking it'll be like 10 and a half to 11. Like we're, I was like, my last short was 13 and I was cut down from like 25 or 20 at one point. So yeah, I'm like, I, I understood like how, how uh, the expectations of like, you, you know, try to keep it under a certain amount uh, for film, film festival programming. So that's where we're at. We're right in the middle of post right now. So definitely want to like get into the the details of shortening the full length pilot into a short. But really quickly, I do want to talk about Sundance, the episodic lab that you were in, because obviously it's one of the, the coveted labs and fellowships out there. And I imagine some people are surprised to hear that like you got into a, a script writing like lab opportunity, you had this opportunity to pitch and yet you're still doing the indie film grind, possibly gearing up for crowdfunding for finishing. So like, you know, it's not the be all end all that I think a lot of people expect. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience like in the lab? Uh, anything you learned from having to switch your pitch midway through interviews and uh, and, you know, your kind of takeaways from that? Yeah, I ooh, like I, I know people are so sick of hearing the term imposter syndrome, but like, <laughs> I, you know, I've been doing comedy 10 years at that point. And I was so comfortable with the rejections and hearing no from things that I thought I, I was a good fit for. Uh, my DP of my first short, Kwe Bing Law, shout out to him. Uh, he sent me the Sundance Episodic Lab application when we were like in post. And so this is like 2018, maybe 2019. And I was like, thanks, but no thanks, because I wasn't ready. I didn't have a script I was proud of. I wasn't like, a pot, like I w- did not have the level of skill that like, I'd be embarrassed. And I, I didn't want, I knew the rejection would come. Like, I was like, I'm not ready. And then, so when uh, 2020 hit, that's when I focused on uh, ha- half hour writing, like halted all the other forms of comedy I was doing. I basically was like, okay, like I had a, I had a, a sort of, um, I call it like between a mid, a quarter, midlife and quarter life crisis because I genuinely like I, you know, my show, I did my show for five years and I thought that was going to lead to something, my late night show. There was all these opportunities that I thought would turn into things, but that never did. Mm-hmm. The fact that I got into the lab by myself, I not by myself, because I, I credit Spencer, my partner, who like metaphorically got me off my ass in terms of like us co-writing that first script together. And then I took it and ran when he had to focus on the startup and my writer's group. Like, so it's like, I didn't get it on my own, but like I credit them, but I didn't get it through any of the connections I thought would like Sundance TV, like people from my day jobs that I thought would like take me under their wing. So it was a real shock to the system, but I knew I like poured my heart into that application. Also, I had like, when I was focused on the late night space, like I would find out um, late night packet information, like and they usually don't even give you enough lead time, but like, because I didn't have a manager, so it trickled down to me. And then they'd be like 48 hours to get submit a packet to like huh. the break with Michelle Wolf. And so I wasn't used to having that time to really like pour myself into an application. And this one I did, like, I really like got, I think it was like at the time first five or 10 pages. And then the answers, I was just like, this is me. I know, I know this, like, I'm, I'm really like putting myself in this application, like as a writer and I don't feel like phony about it. Like it was just, I was like, it'll hurt if I don't, but if I get in second round, that's a book, like, that'd be awesome. That's all I wanted. Like get to second round. 
the, uh, the funny thing is, is that when I found out I got in, it was 420. I, 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 I we all, there was a glitch in the system. So everyone got rejected. Um, and <laughs> oh then I God. found out, <laughs> I, then I found out I got accepted and there was two other good news that I had that day. And I was like, scared because I'm not used to good news. I'm not used to one good news in a year, let alone like three in a, in 24 hours. So I was like, this is fucked. Like everything is fucked. I'm scared. (laughs) Pandemic turned everything upside down. And then, and then I got the interview and then, yeah. So I had to pitch the experience of pitching in the interview. I was, I think I was, because I had a, a little bit of experience pitching, like I did the AFF pitch competition. And I, you know, like being in, being in a writer's group, like learning how to submit pitches and get feedback. Like I, I didn't feel as nervous. And also I think my improv background of just being like, yeah, like, let me sell like this idea. Like I'm, you know, clearly have like a million things going on in my head at once. So Mm -hmm. yes, let me pivot to um, that one. And I, I was actually like, I think it was a testament to how excited I was about the project and how much I wanted it. Because if I was pitching on, if like they happened to have the final interview a month before and I was pitching that like half hour um, dog celebrity influencer (laughs) animated comedy that like I think Fox ended up like putting out like an hour after I gave up on that script. (laughs) And I think they would have been like, what is, what was that? You know, but like, because I was so jazzed, like every time I talked about this idea, um, I think that was the... And it's a relatable concept, making friends in your adult years and especially during the pandemic. Like, so once, so basically the first half of the lab was virtual. Most people were in LA. I was in Austin. Um, There was one uh, writer in between Chicago and New York and then a second writer in New York, but then moved to LA. So it it was nice representing the whole state of Texas. And we basically started from scratch. Like, it, it was like the first deliverable was like, send us pretty much everything you've got. Like some people had scripts, some people just had pitches or beat sheets. So I sent them like, I, ha- I had like fleshed out like a, li- a little bit of a version of a series viable. Cause I had fleshed out some uh, um, season arcs too. And then got, so basically it'd be like, you submit one deliverable, you get feedback, you have a feedback session with them, and then you move on to the next deliverable and you're revising, you're just revising on each deliverable instead of like bringing in multiple beat sheets the way like my writer's group might do that, where it's like, we're not gonna like tell you you're ready to move on until we feel like you're ready. Usually like, like usually there's like a consensus of like, you're ready to go to pages. But with this, it was like, okay, considerations. And then the next deliverable, beat sheet. Um, Then it was treatment no beat sheet then slash and then treatment slash outline so it's like the things are getting longer um you're some people are re-breaking as you go you're you know having these zoom feedback sessions and brainstorming with just the um Sundance team so it's like Lexi the coordinator is manager Jandis the director the dream team they're amazing and so they like really helped shape your story because you're not with the fellows yet like everyone's getting their individual feedback. And then you bring in, I think it was the beginning of October one draft, um, or for some people, like they were on like their 15th draft or whatever. And then uh, the the locked draft that you're going to bring to the lab. And I was glad because I was like, I do not feel polished as a TV writer. I like switched medium so many times, so many times. So I worked in an extra set of deadlines with my writer's group. So like during, it was from July, no, like August to mid-October I was just like 
churning out deliverables weekly, either to Sundance or my writer's group. And it was a little chaotic, but uh, yeah, like it was the only way I could do it in terms of like feeling as prepared as I could be with a new idea. Like it was really like crunch time on a new idea versus like my last script where I had like six months to a year to like really like fuck around with it. We get to the lab. We're very lucky that we get to go in person for the first time in a while because then like December hit and it was chaos again and and the festival and the director's lab went on Zoom again or virtually. So we get there and it's like magical. Like Like I've never even, I don't even know if I've been like on a mountain, but it was just incredible, beautiful sights. Um, the best part about it, and I remember I brought this up in my final interview, is that when I worked at Sundance TV, I won't get into the many challenges of that experience, but one challenge was that the year I was supposed to go to the Sundance Film Festival as a marketing coordinator, they made me stay behind. And so I was alone in the New York office, and then they we didn't have a social person at the time, so I they would send me pictures from all the fun parties and red carpet. And I would like, uh, at nights and on weekends in between like improv shows, I would have to pretend I was at Sundance and post them. Oh my God. Um, oh my God. And so I'm like, karma. Like when I finally got to go, like I wasn't in um, Park City and, and it wasn't the festival, but we were at the uh, resort and for free, which was, you know, bonus. Yeah. So I felt very lucky to have that experience. The first few days. Uh, so you basically get three showrunner mentors and also edit this if I'm, I have long-winded answers, but you get three showrunner mentors and they, and each showrunner mentor, I think gets two pilots, like two uh, creator there. Everyone was um, an individual writer. And then there was one creator team or writer writing partners. And then basically it's a mix of workshops where you're like, kind of like absorbing stuff from the showrunner mentors then we had a reboot exercise where we tried to reboot and I say try, but it was, it was actually fun. Like I was like surprised we took Frasier and turned it into like a 2022 version. Um, Cause also I'd never seen Frasier. So we watched the last episode and then we um, were split into two rooms and the, there were like showrunners of those rooms uh, that led the rooms. And so we like broke, you know, we, we did, um, blue sky that like blue sky exercise which is like basically starting from like very broad place and then like coming up with characters and I'd never worked in a writer's room so this was my first experience seeing what the processes were like there was I want to say there was like one to two two people with like writer staff writer experience and and mostly and then uh the writing partners were had writer's assistance experience so the majority of the group did not have writer's written experience, but everyone was phenomenal. Like if like, and like, it was like a, a sort of like natural chemistry between all of us. And um, even though all of us are different genres. And then the last couple, the last day or two with the showrunners, we do writer's rooms for each pilot. So, uh, so they split us up even more. So I was assigned two different comedy rooms which were, was fun because I got to pitch on someone else's idea. And so there was like, I want to say like three, two to three writers in each room and then two to three showrunners helping out. Um, Did the showrunners I, read the scripts before the last? Yes, yes. So that, okay. so the, I believe, um, I guess, I think the showrunners that you were assigned 
um, were only required to read the scripts of the people they were assigned. And then um, if they were interested, if they heard the log line, like some people did pick up other scripts uh, along the way um, during the week, which is cool. Cause I was like, I was like watching my like pile go down. I was like, I mean, people were probably throwing them out, but I was like, <laughs> some, uh, like more people read my script and tell me it's bad. But um, um, I was the one project that actually didn't get a writer's room. And I was kind of glad because one, I could, well, one thing we didn't realize when we were going into the lab, we all thought that we were going to be rewriting our scripts on the fly. And it wasn't that way at all. Like we were really just doing um, exercises, like beating out story, re-breaking story. There was no, like no one was opening up like final draft or writer duet, like no pages, which is good because I thought we would be like, restructuring our scripts entirely like they used to do the pitch during the lab like in previous years so like you would be like you know have this these first few days of completely flipping your project on its head and then the industry uh, mentors would come on the last day or two and then you would be pitching to them on an idea that you weren't like didn't have your like feet like steady on yet so Mm -hmm. um we were really grateful they took the pitch parlor element. Like that was a new thing they did this year because then we knew our shows by then, but we were still figuring out our shows. So my session was the, after the lab, I got uh, uh, a session with um, an industry mentor that was a feedback session or or a rewrite session where you learn how to take feedback and do a rewrite. So like I enjoyed that while like separate from the lab because I was like, I'm, like getting so much feedback from my showrunner mentors that I I felt like I was going to be in my head if I if I did have a, a writer's room during the lab even more and like than I was coming out of it like not in a bad way it's just like when you're getting so many opinions that you hadn't heard before like I I like knew the opinions of my writers group but and I knew the opinions of the Sundance team but like these are people who didn't who had never read my work before like weighing in with very different comedy experiences and so it was like a lot to take in so you really have to give yourself time after the lab because I thought I was going to jump right into the rewrite I was like yeah I'm going to have a polished script by the end of the year and I think one of the generals I was on there like that's no that's not how people do it like in the in the lab so then we came out of the lab uh and then it was kind of like you're not you're not on your own but you you operate independently and can Uh, request meetings with the Sundance team as needed. And some people were able to work with their industry. Oh, I forgot the last day and a half of the lab is industry mentors. So like execs, I'm not sure if, I don't think there were reps. It was basically execs, production company, people from production company, streaming platforms, like yeah, buyers essentially. One, I think there was like one producer and they give you insight on like the business side of the industry. And they also give you feedback on their scripts. So you have three generals with them and then you get uh you come out of the lab some people were able to keep in touch with their mentors some people aren't because you know like they're full-time working showrunners and tv writers and developing and you know like they're in the industry i i leaned on my uh writers group and the sundance team and i started to circulate it to like a writer and comedy friends outside of that circle and, you know, as you know, I did that Zoom reading in the last weekend before I like try- locked pages or, or like for now, because I'm going to sure. crack into it at some point again. So from January to 
what was going to be March then got pushed out to May where we have deliverables for the pitch. And it was not a traditional pitch. It was, you know, I used to, I called it like our writer's debutante where like it was really us in, being introduced to the industry because they invited more people outside of like the people who were at the lab and Got you it. had to do a deck. So it was like a visual element and a, a verbal pitch. And, but it was only seven minutes on say, I think it was seven minutes. So you, it's not like you couldn't go into like a lot of specifics. It was like broad strokes, pilot, broad strokes, season one character arcs. It wasn't, it wasn't like a pitch I would immediately take into a like pitch meeting with a stream, you know, it was like elements of it. And this was intended for feedback from the like industry people that had already seen bits of it and were new was like, like, how were they billing this to you on uh, as like participants? What did you expect to come out of it? So the feedback, we only got feedback from like internally. So we'd have all these uh, deadlines, just like the first part of the lab, like elements of the pitch, elements of the deck. And we did one session with execs and that's where we got like industry feedback. Uh, and then we went on pause again for the pandemic when they pushed it out to May. So like after those, that feedback session, the first couple scheduled ones in the beginning of the year, you, you independently would schedule feedback sessions with the Sundance team. And they set it up as like really a writer's debutante in that you are, it's like introducing you to the industry. So you're not getting feedback. There's no like, questions after the pitch it was so like different from the pitch competition mm -hmm. um it was ex really like us presenting our ideas and then seeing if anyone in the audience was like hey I want to rep that writer or hey I'm interested in that and the hope is that we're teasing out the script enough to get them to request to read it um it. and so to like lead to conversations uh, so, so that was really that purpose of the pitch to like, you know, we had spent, it was like coming to the end of the year of the lab and it, they were trying to set us up for the next step, which is, you know, for some of us to get reps to, for some of us to get staffed, for some of us to sell the script for some of us, all three, <laughs> you know, so it was like, whatever you needed next in your career, the pitch parlor was hoping to, to bring you to that stage. And then, you know, the Sundance team still works with you even after like, the official scheduled portion of the lab is done, which is really nice. It is like a full encompassing program. It's not like you took the workshop and now you're out of here. Mm -hmm. Or they're trying to sell you new things to pay for to, you know, oh, keep participating. That <laughs> happens a lot. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. So basically it's like they, they, wherever we're at, they'll like keep thinking of us for stuff. We can keep checking in with them. So, so it's been fun because now I'm in this new like medium and like sharing it with them. Cause it's like, I only worked with them on, on written stuff. And now I'm like, Hey, like, I like, I want to like, keep this going with this, you know, like, and, and move it into a different, different, a different medium and a different track until I feel like we can package this to set to sell and like solidify. Cause going back to the Smelf example, since I am a nobody, I knew, you know, Spencer and I talk about this all the time. It's like, nobody buys scripts. It's like so rare, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the, like all the stars have to align. And a lot of those stars are like, you're somebody or you have someone big attached. And so for me, as a, as someone who is currently unwrapped, but like in the courting phase, never been staffed and has never sold a script. Like I have a lot working against me in this already unfair industry. So I'm like, 
I'm trying to build up uh, a case for it to be really hard for people to say no. That's where I'm at. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm used to the no, but you know, I, I need to like at least like invest as much as I can, can into pushing this over my version of the finish line. And I, you know, while still like seeking, you know, opportunities, staffing opportunities, but, uh, yeah, I was like, th- you know, it ha- it's happened before. I'm not saying it will definitely happen for me, but it was also like, I wanted to also experience the film festival circuit after having only done it in the pandemic. So it's like yeah. hitting on a couple goals for me. Like I wanted to direct something again. Like I wanted, to, I was like, this is the one project I would actually star in and direct, you know, like there was like a couple goals that it hit on beyond just making a proof of concept of the pilot. Totally. So uh, when when you're having these sort of like meetings, because I know you've had some meetings, you've had some that were like officially scheduled and some elsewhere, did p- have people brought up that like it would be really helpful if you had a visual component? Like has the, the concept of a proof of concept come up in meetings that you had? I would say with some people who knew that I was a director and did both short films, because like the majority of the people in the lab are writers. Uh, and sure. some are like writers slash comedians. There's one woman, Elizabeth Palmer. So she had a feature at Sundance Film Festival that she wrote, but she didn't direct, but like she had a strong influence on. So like she had ma- she had contributed to like having like a long form piece made. And then there was another um, Gianna in the lab who is a filmmaker. So like it, there wasn't a, an expectation for any anyone to turn it into a proof of concept. Like no one was pressuring anyone like some people were looking at it as like this is a writing sample to get staff and some people were like I want to get this sold and so the only people that were like really you know not egging me on but like would even mention like oh you should make that is are people who already looked at my bio and knew that I'm positioning myself as a writer slash director um so it made more sense like because I think it would be tough for people coming out of the lab and it's like you're already really focused on trying to get like staffing jobs or sell your script, like to add the element of like a first time short film. But like, I think I was the only crazy one that was like, I wanted to make, I wanted to make this before it was a script. And so I think I was going to do it even if it wasn't going to be um, a proof of concept. Yeah, Yeah. Strategic. But now I'm like, now I'm like really late, like laser targeted at like making this like set me up for the next step of like packaging and pitching this. Okay. So what were the starting points for you in terms of adapting a full length story that theoretically could span seasons into not just a shorter piece, but a standalone shorter piece for you? Like what were the important elements of that adaptation process? So I I did it partially right and partially wrong the first time. (laughs) Um, So basically what happened is I locked the script in earlier mid-April and I was like finalizing my pitch and as soon as I locked the script I went right into pre-pro oh I gave myself a half day to adapt the pilot into a short so like I didn't really (laughs) spend the time that I should have because I like the shorts I've written have exclusively been shorts like I really and then I've adapted like other people's writings like humor essays into um shorts. So it was more like visual interpretations, but I had not taken a long form piece to turn it into a short form script and then into a visual piece. And so I, I was, I rushed myself. I knew there was two scenes I knew had to be in it. Um, the friendship breakup scene 
and this set piece that I was like obsessed with this scene because I thought it was like so it would be so silly to see like actually shot and then I was like and I'll figure out what to do in the middle and so I I wrote a couple transitional scenes I the friendship breakup in the pilot is at a boy genius concert at Mohawk which is a, a venue in Austin so I was like can't afford that like I knew I knew right away I had to adapt that to be more producible so when I adapted that scene to a more producible scene, I didn't think about what the elements that weren't translating between that environment and what became like a brunch environment. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things and behaviors and like character interactions that weren't landing. And I didn't see this until someone called that out and I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec, but basically like, uh, all I was like, okay, I made this scene producible. I have my transitional scenes. And then I have my like set piece that I like really love. And then the ending, I don't even remember what the original ending for the short was, but it wasn't tying up loose ends, but I wasn't concerned about that because I, I was like, I'm going to take Bree's budget template and I'm breaking <laughs> down my script. And I was like, so excited to get back into pre-pro and not think about story. And I did it wrong. And I got lucky. A, a woman who I'm talking to now getting feedback from, who's like, one of the only like Arab women managers in the industry, coincidentally, like we got connected a few weeks, I think before I got into pre-pro. And so she, I think I had sent her the short script and she um, noticed like some issues with the adaptation in terms of like, this is a short form piece and what, where you would have had more time in a pilot to develop this character and showcase this character now you, you like took these scenes and like bookended them and you didn't, I like, she didn't say this like this, but basically I didn't think about how, what I needed to put into this short in order for a different audience to understand who this character is and not like just hate her guts. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't think about the fact that like I'm smushing character development into a third of the pilot now. Sure. And, and like, it's a proof of concept. So like, I need to, set this up as like for people to understand that what I'm going for in the long form piece. People have to like the character at the end if they want to see more of her. Yeah, I have yeah. to set up the engine and and I have to work on the story engine in the, in the pilot still. But anyway, so we were going to work on getting feedback on the pilot to like see how we work together and as a potential manager client. And then she like talked to someone else who was at the pitch parlor Chuyu, who's wonderful. She's an exec and they're friends. And like, basically they, like Lubna, who's the manager was like, oh, like, am, am I able to like talk about, like give her feedback on the short? Um, or is, is this like stepping on, you know, I don't know. Like she, she wasn't sure if she should like intervene because I was like going, going straight into pre-pro mm. and we were shooting in like a month. And I'm glad she intervened because not only did it like improve the script tenfold? Cause it was like, keep in mind, no one read the short script except mm -hmm. my brother. And I think like my producer who are wonderful, but they're directors and producers. So they're like looking at it through a different lens and not necessarily like the story development lens. And so uh, not only did it improve the script and like fix the problems that I was blind to, it removed a very complicated scene. And we were going to try to figure out a way to to write ourselves out of that. And I didn't know how yet while still maintaining like this 
other piece that we needed to basically like push the scene forward. And her pitch helped me uh, like basically remove that element completely. And I was like, holy shit, like not only did you make it easier for me as a producer, but you, you made it, you improved my, my writing. Cause she pushed me to like explore different options and different lines. Cause I was, I was like, I knew that there are things that weren't landing, but I was like already in pre-pro mode. Like I, it was past me and I was like, I'll maybe I'll rework it or do a, uh, you know, another like uh, stage reading sort of thing. But so that experience um, made me realize like one slow your roll. You can't just like take scenes from a pilot and turn that into a proof of concept. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And two, being able to like make sure my like voice comes through like this, this is a, a, a selling piece. Like it is not just a short film. Like I, I wanted to work as a short film, but I also needed to work as like a, ton- a tonal comp, like basically like, Hey, now we know what she's going for and now we know what's in her head that maybe we weren't able to visualize from like just reading the script so that was the process like I you know your budget worksheets were just too tantalizing for me to resist (laughs) and I was like my type a ass just wants to go right into pre-pro and ignore writing give up (laughs) on writing for like a month and and that was wrong I also I think because my first short I was in rewrites like throughout pre-pro and I was like I don't want to I don't want to be there again and maybe overcorrected <laughs> yeah yeah and so so this was helpful to have someone else's eyes on it who could really especially someone from like the business side who could say like hey here's what you need to to fix like and then and then I was able to like uh you know she had great pitches and then I expanded on that and it's I feel I felt like a lot better at how it started and ended. And I was like, okay, this is a short now. This is a short film. I'm so glad she like intervened. Like, I'm glad like that that her exact friend was like, no, like you're working with her. You can, you can bring up. Cause when she emailed me, she's like, you can tell me to fuck off. But like, if you're open to it, I'd love to do notes call on the short. And I'm like, yes, please. Cause I'm, you know, indecisive about everything. And and like, yeah, like, I'm really glad I took that call. And like for a couple of days, we were just like, going back and forth on it and I needed that like you really like the feedback external feedback like you can't live in your little echo chamber like I I did that for my late night show I was I would never run things after I didn't have a writing partner on that like it would just be me and so like not having people to bounce ideas off of I think is such a detriment to your career and just does not help you at all in this industry I'm not that good of a writer by myself. <laughs> I don't think anyone is. I, yeah. you know, even the Sorkins of the world. It's also really hard to divorce yourself from what the version of it is yeah. that you are married to already and see it as and then try and mm-hmm. make it a short. I think like I've been programming short films mm-hmm. for nearly a decade now. And mm-hmm. that's the biggest mistake I see is people trying to do a proof of concept for a feature, especially. And they mm. just make like a 15 minute version of their feature. Ugh. And it's just like really crammed in and rushed and there's yeah. no breathing room and there's no real like mm-hmm. there's just nothing left to want yeah. more of yeah another driving factor to the way I executed on this is that my first couple shorts were really complicated production wise like too many company moves too many locations too many wardrobe changes too many extras and props and I was like I'm like so I, I was thinking about like one the COVID of it all and to simplifying it for myself so that I can really allow us to like 
light one long scene and and allow the characters to to play versus like bringing them in and out of so many different places you know over a span of several days so that was another driving factor of like yeah i didn't want i, I didn't want to cram and and i had actually worked with this dp uh, on on other on like day job stuff but our dp ej enriquez he um and i did a short together that his friend directed for her series where i wrote a comedy sketch and they like came in it was a small crew and seeing how like i can write something that does not have to be like this insanely high budget like we were on my patio it was me and my friend acting in it there was like two three props were in our clothes there was a dp a director a pa who handled lighting gaff it like grip and sound and like having that exercise before i went back to set was super helpful and knowing that like even though things i did have to like crew up more than i thought i'd have to but it like allowed me to not kill myself over too many too many like big like yeah my my first show was just like that people thought it was a, a set up for a tv show or a web series because it was just so complicated and really good shorts are simple like when you go like once i started going to film festivals i was like oh fuck i was like <laughs> oh this is how it should be like one room two people like two rooms three people <laughs> like yeah just like a snapshot like, yeah I, like so i'm i'm learning you know i didn't go to film school so i'm still learning like these different mediums and how to improve and really nail nail that the art of it yeah no i mean that's that's how mm -hmm. a lot of us i mean i never technically went to film school either and most of my education was on set. So to, to take a step back for people who obviously are not going to be familiar with your full length pilot or the story of your short, what were the, by the end, like once you had a, a script that you were really happy with, what were the elements that you translated that you could give us advice on? Like, what are the things, if we're looking at our half hours or our hour long samples, what are the things we should be looking at if we're looking to proof of concept, our own concepts? Well, no know what like the style of what you're adapting because like i was lucky that it was it's not it's not a two-hander really like it is very much like focused on one protagonist and then there's supporting characters around her and so i i think it's important because even though it's like you want it to be a standalone short i think it's important to tease out some of the elements of the world of the show even if you can't shoot it so for example like you know, there she has a, a a job, but I I wasn't showing that part of her life in the in the short. So I incorporated into some on screen graphics of like because she's making like a French potential friendship outreach list, and so she puts like her boss and her mentee on there and her dog. So like I worked in characters that you didn't see, but were setting up like her boyfriend, her long term boyfriend. I just had him do like a VO because I'm like I don't want to see I don't want to add another because like. We're not giving him a scene. So it's like, I just, I slipped in these little elements of like the full series because I knew I couldn't really write it in a way or in an affordable way that could give those Truly people- include them. The, yeah, the time that they would normally get in a half hour. So that was one thing I learned in the process. Cause like between the original script and the, and the locked script, of the short like that was a new element where i was like oh shit now i can now i have the time and space to like tease out these characters uh, i keep saying character development but because my show is character driven and i think that that like you have to go based on like what kind of 
what kind of show do you have? Is it plot driven? Is it character driven? And then it's hard to do it. I think it's easier to do plot driven in a short because like, you know, like you're, you get to tie it up at the end. I think it's harder to really be able to show like a life cycle of a character in a short. Most of them, I'm, I'm speaking broadly, but I think that's the challenge is like, what are the biggest takeaways of your pilot that you need to put in your short in order for an audience? And if you're, you know, trying to sell it like potential buyers to know exactly what type of show this is, because that's a hard thing, like to watch a short film and be like, I can see this as a TV show or to watch a short and be like, I can see this as a feature. I think that's not as easy as everyone thinks. So I think it's like, what are the most important elements of your show that make it like one unique to your style and your, and your tone and your voice. And that has to shine in the, the uh, short. Cause like, like there were certain jokes that weren't landing in the short. So like I had to, I like, basically I was like, well, I want to make sure my voice is still in here. So I'm going to like rework some of these lines and the dialogue. I'm going to rework some of these character interactions, but I still can see this living in like a, a pilot version. Like, so you're kind of doing like, like you're thinking about it backwards, especially because I changed the friendship breakup scene significantly in the short version. And I'll probably go back now and rewrite that friendship breakup scene in the half hour pilot. So I would say like, like allow yourself to, I'm like thinking of like separated on Facebook. Like, it's like, if you're not married, you're not divorced, but like, you need to allow yourself, like you said, Christina, to like, to separate yourself from the two mediums and play with like what changes you need to do. And as long as you're, I think as long as you're getting across like your voice as a writer, the characters, like, cause like, you know, plots obviously important, but why are we watching this show? Like what, what, like if, it, if the plot is more important to the show, then like, then the plot has to shine more than the characters in, in the short. And then I think it's just like, also like know what your team's going to look like. Cause I like, I knew that I needed to direct co-direct this with my brother. So that like, I also had to put in a level of trust with him because I wasn't watching playbacks or like in video village the way I normally would be. Cause I was on set or like in the scene. So I had to make sure that like, you know, as a writer slash director that like was also acting, who's also acting like I like I was lucky that I had that prep time to work with not only my brother, but my DP and my producer to make sure that like once I got to set, I could focus on the acting and they mm. would be more concerned with the production aspects because it because, yeah, I've never co- I've never directed and acted like that was very new to me. So I would make sure like, you know, if you're not directing, like you have someone that is going to work closely with you if it's going to be a proof of concept, because the writer does have to be involved in that sense if the writer's trying to sell their script. Mm-hmm. I'm actually curious about your crew really quick, because something that I was running into when I was considering doing a sh- proof of concept for for a long form script that I have, something that I came up against is somebody mentioning like, I'm not super interested in working on a proof of concept just because like, it doesn't feel like I would get as much out of that. And this is a, an actor slash potential producer. They're like, if you're expecting to use this to like further your career, I get that and go for you. But but it feels like that's a lot of effort for me, a person who isn't getting the same thing out of it. So like, I'm, I'm curious if that ever came up for you in conversations when this is obviously very specifically a proof of concept for you 
personally and like your writing, not even necessarily for producing? Like, how did you talk about that with your crew? Oh, like to to be like, this is worth it for everyone, sort of. Yeah, like, yeah, what, what are they getting out of it? Or did that even come up? Because obviously having a standalone piece is, you know, valuable in its own right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like our casting director would also like market it, not market, but like in her casting calls, she called it a proof of concept. And I would find myself calling it more of a short film because I'm like more familiar in the short film space. But like, and then my my DP would be like, like when I was in the in the like, I just want this to do well in the festival circuit phase. My EP, my DP EJ, the DP would be like. So we want like, you know, we want to sell it. Like we want to make these like decisions where we're like really putting it all out there to have this be like at the level of quality where people will be like, like clearly we invested the time, the effort, the resources into making this more than just something to put through the festival circuit. Like this is met, like we want this to go beyond, like we want it to be, essentially it's like we polished our pitches for the pitch parlor so that people could, t- it was a tease for people to request the scripts. And now this pr- short film proof of concept is is an even bigger tease for people to be like, oh, let, let yeah, let me see the script and let me consider it for whatever. So yeah, I think, I think most people were just like, hey, like this is a short film uh, who weren't close to me. And then the people close to me knew a little bit more of the details of like, I want to sell this into as a pilot. And like, you know, the team around me, like I'd say like our first AD or DP or my brother, my friend who is the producer, like we all also wanted this to be like a level up for us in our careers because we're all, you know, have day jobs and, you know, my brother and Lauren, our producer run their own production companies. So they get to, but they do client work. So it's like, sometimes they get to do fun narrative stuff, but like what pays the bills is client work. And then my other friends, it's like a mix of like freelance DPs and editors. And so it's like, we got like, oh, here's an, a, a thing that m- made me treat it differently than like any other indie project um, was that I didn't do indie discounted rates. So it wasn't like what's in it for them. I was like, you're getting paid for your time as you sure. would for a client so like uh, one example my editor it's I'm always like trying to see like how much I can get away with like favors versus like 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 it's like I'm friends with people I work with so I'm like I want to pay you well but I know you're my friend so you will do you'll like do something for me cheaper but when my friends who are now full-time freelancers in the industry are have to decide between like a paid job and a discounted job like I'm I basically like didn't want to rush this. So I, I, I was like, I, okay, I'm going to pay for your actual time that you would be billing if this was like someone else, like a real like production. Uh, and it's a real production, but like someone with money. So I think it was a mix of like, people were like, Hey, I like the concept. I, I applied an inclusion writer. So I think that was a, a draw for some people. Um, cause I worked with some people I'd worked with before and then whoever was new were referrals from those people. So like, it was kind of this nice community of people who uh, had worked together before. It was all women, BIPOC and queer crew and lead cast. And um, so I think there was like incentives beyond just like, oh, I want to sell my pilot. I think it was like, it was a people 
like I, I put it all out there. Like everyone got to read the script. If they, like, I didn't like tease anything. I was like, here's what we're working on. Like I was very transparent with my motives, but I was also like, but also this is a short film production by me and my brother. And we want this to be an enjoyable experience. Like this isn't just, it's a bonus if I sell this. Technically the primary goal of a proof of concept, but I think it's, I'm like figuring out like how I'm going to end the sentence. But honestly, (laughs) I love being on set. So, so like I sort of took off, once I got to set, I took off the, I want to sell this script, like business hat. And I was like, I want to make a really fucking great short. Mm. And I didn't even think of it as a proof of concept. So it's like, I think in the before and the after is where I'm really going to like hone in on the proof. It's like, we're in editing phase and we're like, okay, what would Sundance, what would do, what would Sundance accept basically? Like what would do well in, at South by? Cause these are all like reach festivals that most of us had not get, gone into, but I feel like th- for everyone, it was like a different reason. No one was I mean, some people, they probably like, it's a paycheck, but like we had some people like reach out who wanted to volunteer as a PA and cause I, I paid my PAs, but like some people were like, Hey, like I can't donate, you know, but I want to donate my time. So it was embraced. I think a lot by like the community in Austin that I knew. And then like the people that I met through not having shot something in many years here in Austin. So like, I was like meeting new people cause uh, learning new day rates. Uh, that was a fun surprise. I was like, <laughs> now I have my quoted costs. Now I know my actual costs. Yeah, it was, I think it was just like, there's not just one reason that I wanted to do it. I wouldn't say like singularly, it's a proof of concept. I think for some people, if that's all they want out of it, maybe that's not the best reason to do it. Like, so I understand your fr- uh, friend saying, I don't think it's worth it for me if that's the only reason they're doing it. I was doing it for several reasons and one, not just to write myself on screen, but also like striking while the iron is hot. Cause I got this grant money. I got this like momentum from Sundance. I knew I wanted to shoot it anyway. And I knew one of my goals was to get into the Sundance film festival. So like, even if I never sell it as a proof of concept, like if I hit any of those goals, I'll be happy. Cause you know, what are the odds of any of of those things happening? So I think you just have to have more reasons than just selling it as a proof of concept. I agree with your friend in that sense. Cause, and we talk about this, uh, this is the last thing I'll say for this answer, but when people shoot half hour pilots, I just think that's bad news. Like, I just think that's, it's a waste of resources. It's, it's really hard because no one's going to pick that up. Like, I think in that sense, it's like, just do yourself a favor and shoot a short version of that pilot and, and call it a proof of concept because I think like wanting like indie TV is really kind of like a challenging concept. And I think that like, so in that sense, like, yeah, that's a, like, I would say like, that's not worth it. Yeah. It's not like a feature. If you shoot a feature and obviously Christina has experience in this, like there are things you can do with a completed feature without having to like change a lot. There's really not distribution for, for TV shows. And even if somebody picks up your show, they're going to reshoot the pilot so that it matches what what comes after. It's not like they're going to put your indie produced pilot at the beginning of a you know Netflix series. I don't even, I'm like, has there ever been an example of that happening? And this yeah. isn't a drag at people who've done that. I'm just like, I've seen like excellent creators do it. And I'm like, it's really, it's just really fucking hard um, to shop that around. So like it, I think it's just benefits everyone like financially, and like, just like, 
energy wise. Like that's, that's a lot to like, I don't know, like features are, are big things, but it's like, yeah, there's a path. There's like, there's distribution for that. Like there's, there's career opportunities, but for a whole shot pilot, like, yeah, that's wild. Yeah. It sounds like don't let the proof of concept overshadow the concept itself. It's like, I feel the same way about people producing full length, like 30 minute or an hour long TV pilots as I do people that spend like 50 K on a short film. It's like, don't what? <laughs> why are you, why, why is this the thing that you're doing that on when you know, there's nowhere to go from here? Like if you're going to spend that much time and energy and money, produce something that can go somewhere produce multiple something so you can spread out, you know, your strategy. Something else I'm curious about, though, from like a producing and directing and maybe even DP and something else that would come up in conversations I would have with people is like, if obviously the goal eventually is to sell a version of this story that you're telling to a higher power, higher power, what is like where what legally and like on an IP level and even ethically, maybe like, what are you promising to people? Because I think the conversation that I had that that is I'm bringing this up with, you know, was about like a person who would be helping like produce from the ground up. And naturally, that person would probably want a little bit more connection to the story going forward. And if like it got picked up and I went somewhere, but then I couldn't promise anything else that obviously gets complicated and that's a totally fair concept. So like, did you sign contracts? Like what, what does that look like for you? Like splitting up the creative control and ownership over the short versus the script? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, and something my brother and I are constantly talking about, cause my brother is a director producer, not a writer. So on projects that I've written scripts for, it's always like, okay, where do I come in? Not he doesn't say it like that, but like, we want, we're director producer partners, but mm-hmm. I write alone. So, and like, we can control like our indie projects, but like, if, you know, if I ever did sell a script, but just as a writer, it'd be a lot harder for me to attach. Like, I, I don't even know what kind of world that looks like in terms of being able to pick crew as like a sure. nobody, at least um, maybe mm-hmm. like it would be easier if I was older. I mean, not older. It, I was more established and like in a different position in the, in the industry. But so that's been a challenge. I do also, I have thought, and I, you know, obviously this is like thinking down the road, if, if something ever came of this, if we ever were even able to shoot a pilot, I do really want it to be in Austin. Like it's set in Austin. I don't know what types of control I would have over crew, but like the people I work with are like fantastic. And some have worked on professional sets, SAG, IATSE sets. Um, but like, I like, I'm just so impressed by the talent here and it would be really cool to be able to uh, bring people along, but I, but I don't have a guarantee because I, I, it's like, I I don't get to make that decision. So Mm -hmm. we didn't sign anything that said that anyone would stay attached. Like, I think the only not obligation, but the one that I would fight the most for is like my brother, because we're a director producer team and we want to create more work together. We want to get paid to create work. That, That would be a whole new thing and not just go into credit card debt like leading up to each of our wedding years. So I think like, I'm still learning one, like, what does it look like when I pitch something? What, where can I put myself in and my brother? Cause um, there was one series we pitched where we were going to be attached together as producers and maybe direct, uh, nothing came of it, but basically like, we are trying to figure that out in this weird industry where like, 
like there are some things I can I have to pitch solo on and there are some things like we are pitching together on. And then the other obligation is that because it's a Sundance project, they if it got turned into something that made money, I think they get like a because I signed like a some paperwork, but it's like a very small percentage, which is like a donation to the Institute. So that was the only obligation legally since it was developed in the Sundance lab. And then the other obligation is just like blood. DNA, my brother, like trying to, you know, make good on like the work we've done together and us both trying to break in um, both like individually and together. Sure. That kind of goes back to why I think you should treat your proof of concept as a short, as its own mm-hmm. individual thing, both creatively mm-hmm. and as like the mm-hmm. business strategy for it, because mm-hmm. that's what you're asking everyone to be part of. And you don't yeah. necessarily owe them anything like any short could turn into being expanded or adapted that's like you're not making promises to the people that are working on that that they're going to get to be part of the bigger thing that comes of it yeah and of course there's like it's always the director and the lead actors Mm -hmm. that benefit the most from Mm -hmm. any kind Mm -hmm. of film it's like the producers are Mm -hmm. often overlooked and Mm -hmm. the crew's definitely overlooked Mm -hmm. um and so that's just like the industry that we're in yeah but yeah that's like how I would approach a proof of concept because of everything we talked about creatively, but also yeah. because of that piece of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're going to make yeah. a great short and this is what I plan to do with it. And yeah. if that strategy is appealing to you on its own, uh-huh. then be part of it. And if not, yeah. then don't. And obviously that's, that's a paid. good point. Like, cause I was like, I wasn't telling, yeah, I think I was initially saying proof of concept short film when I was like crewing up, but like, then it was very much like it's a short film and and I think the only reason I was like framing it as a proof of concept is because it was coming out of the Sundance lab like it was like the the momentum of the lab and there was like this attachment and, and like so in the pitch deck there like I go into like how this project came to be and I think if it was another project like where it's where I was like I want to make this as a long form form piece eventually but I don't have any like foundation behind the project I probably would like say like this is just a short film and like you know who knows what will come of it but yeah you're right it's like you can't make any promises especially like we're in Austin so it's like we especially don't have that power in the industry to like just Mm -hmm. decide like who's who is on the short list of crew for these studios or production companies so you can only hope that you get to like bring your friends up with you if stuff comes to you like later on in your career but it's really hard I think for when we're all starting out or not starting out but breaking in going from Mm -hmm. indie to like professional projects whatever that means (laughs) it's it's funny it's like professional projects it's like there's probably like more unprofessional behavior on like studio sets and like the sets we run um, in the indie world. Yeah, my brother's a PA on a lot uh, and now more so an AD on uh, a lot of professional sets on on TV and movies. And the stories he tells, I'm like, that would never fly on my set. Who did, where did these people come from? (laughs) I feel like it's like what we, when we always talk about like, like we have such imposter syndrome yet we like have such a high bar for how we like treat people and talk to people and the relationships we foster in this industry. And, and then you like hear these like entourage level horror stories and you're Mm -hmm. like, I I mean, I don't, I think this is just like us, our attempt to like change the standard because yeah, it's like sort of like wait till the old people die off like in Congress, but cause it's like, yeah, I don't want to work on those sets either. 
like I'll, I'll keep working on my indie sets. If I go to like a professional set and find out like, that's, that's how like my favorite, it's like, never meet your heroes, never go on the set of your favorite project and find out (laughs) that like, they're like sexist or something like, you know, to the PAs or whatever, you know, exactly. Well, I want to be conscious of time because we, we've been recording for a while, but I definitely obviously want to talk about the strategy piece. And I know that for you, uh, part of your sort of like distribution and beyond strategy is impact driven. So can you tell us a little bit about like once this project's out of post, what are you doing with it, both as a short on its own and theoretically, do you have ideas for how to utilize it on the pitching angle? So we are trying to hit the regular Sundance deadline. Um, and I think by the time this podcast goes out, I have hopefully been a month past that deadline. So that's August 19th yeah, end, or 18th, end of September is when um, this episode yeah, out. Yes. And then, uh, so we're like, basically like, that's our first deadline. And then we'll see where we, there's a few other, obviously there's a bunch of other festivals. We're targeting some reach festivals, some repro right driven focused festivals. And then I'm trying to, so in, in a, in a normal like distribution path, it would be, we go through the festival circuit that takes an entire year. And then once we go through all of the um, festival premieres, then we're able to do public screenings. But I'm like, I don't even know what the world will look like by then. And Roe v. Wade got overturned 24 hours before our prep day. So in our our prep day, in our first day of shooting was at, at Planned Parenthood. So we were like with Planned Parenthood employees, like right after that happened. So I am, what I'm hoping to do is, you know, like knock on wood, if it all works out, like Sundance would be our uh, world premiere if it all works out or some festival will be our world's premiere. I'll say that. So I don't jinx myself. And then I would um, make sure like I would keep track of whatever, like basically kind of be like waterfalling it where I'm going to see if I can get the, the approval to do an impact screening at the same time as the festival circuit, because festivals like are, aren't as accessible to people. Like they're expensive um, to buy tickets to. And like, I, could only really attend the ones that if I can even attend the ones I, I would get into. So the, what the impact campaign is, is that, and I've, I've done like versions of this sort of structure in the past, but not as an impact campaign where like, I, you know, for my fundraising, for my uh, previous shorts, like I would do comedy show fundraiser. So it was like book a lineup. Sometimes if I had, if I had like the footage, I would do like a, a teaser and fundraise for the project. But this time, like my hope is all expenses have been accounted for and 100% of the ticket sales for this comedy show slash screening, public screenings would go to Lilith Fund, which is an abortion fund here in Texas. Um, we, we worked out this plan because I talked to our contact at Planned Parenthood a day, two days after the leak of Roe v. Wade. So it was like, there's always been these weird like timings of, of like, you know, how this project has like been worked around. Like we were supposed to talk the day before and then the leak happened. And so we pushed our call. So in in that early May call, like she told me one of the flags about my script was that by the time we got to um, post or distribution, Texas most likely will, would not be a state you can get an abortion in. And, you know, I was like, oh, she works for Planned Parenthood. She has to like say those things. And I was like, yeah, like, 
my thought was that maybe Roe v. Wade would be overturned by the time we get to the festival circuit. I didn't think it'd be the day, the freaking day before we even shot. So we shot this project in a world where Roe v. Wade was overturned. And, but we had made this plan like in preparation that we would have a title card at the end or end card where we acknowledge that because we weren't sure when it would happen. So we were going to say like this, even though it's inaccurate that an abortion can happen in Texas, like how we have it in the scene. We wrote this in a world where abortion was legal and accessible. And this is the world we want to live in. Basically, like it'll be more eloquent. And then we would link to resources to get access to abortion for Texans. And then so like that was the one piece that we were like, we were going to we were prepared for, but I really didn't think I had to put that in until like months down the road. And then the Lilith Fund uh, fundraiser where where 100% of proceeds will go to them. So that in and around the strategy of that, it'll kick off probably in Austin. I'd hit up New York and LA because just because I like have comedy contacts there. And then I am going to try to take it on the road to some red states. So like New Orleans. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, be careful about like, it's like, I'll, I'll have to be in probably like bluish cities in red states like Austin. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my goal is just to like take it out. Uh, it's not a, it's not a film about abortion, but it's, I call it the dog pill and the dog food where it's like friendship is the dog food, <laughs> female friendship, adult friendships. And then it's like, I'm just slipping in abortion is a non-issue, normalize abortion. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so that's driven the theme of the impact campaign. Uh, and that's my strategy behind it. And it's my first time that I'll be taking something on my own, on a tour like this. Like I've never even gone on tour as a comedian. So here's hoping it works out. Maybe I'll, I'll talk to Julie on, on road trip uh, strategy. Totally. And then, so your strategy with taking the short film um, and remind, and then like transitioning back to the proof of concept element is attending festivals. Like what's the, what's the strategy there? So um, yeah, one, definitely, hopefully there's festivals for us to attend festivals we get into festivals that are live. And then, so it'd be a combination of like this 2023 is like film festival circuit and impact campaign. And the hope is that we're also drawing attention to the project through the film festival circuit, meeting people. Cause like I ha didn't have that opportunity to meet people at film festivals for projects I made during the pandemic. So my hope is that I'm just like, like I'm not setting a timeline on when I want my script sold. Cause I know that's insane, but I'm just like, trying to build up enough ammo in the next year so that when I meet the right person or have the like the timing works out where like I'm talking to the right production company or studio at the right time, whatever, then I will have like everything kind of figured out. I, I'll have like hopefully some accolades. I'll have like an impact report where I can actually show like how much we raised for Lilith Fund. Cause like, I think it's beyond just like the film festival laurels. Like for me, it's like, like I want to make something that like actually is, isn't just a comedy. It's like, it's, it's a comedy you laugh and then you're like, oh fuck, that makes me think differently about that social issue is the tagline for the show. But yeah. So like, I, I'm hoping that this, this pre-work, this preparation will pay off in the long run for like what I can't predict. And at the end of the day, like, fuck it. If I don't sell the script, I'll hopefully have raised a lot of money for Lilith Fund uh, in dedication to my governor, Greg Abbott, who hopefully won't be my governor anymore next year. But I can't predict that either, unfortunately. <laughs> so final question. 
would you recommend other people do this if they have a script that they're a long form script that they're really excited about? Would you recommend uh, producing a proof of concept? Immediate answer is no, because I think it's <laughs> not, fair. not, not because it's like, Oh, I did it wrong. No, I, this is exactly right for me right now, but I don't think you can just say it's like that question, like how much would it take to make a short film? Like sure. someone broadly saying it, it's not right for everyone. I think like for me, like, applying to the Sundance lab in 2018 was not right for me. Like I had to wait until I was ready with a script. I was ready to apply with and in a better like headspace as a, as a creator, I still like back then I still was like figuring out my voice. Um, I'm still figuring it out today. So I think like, like the immediate answer is like, no, it's not for everyone. I think it's, it's just like anything in the industry. It's, it's gotta be the right project the right timing, the right sort of like elements in place. Like I had the support of Sundance and I knew I had some line of financing and I knew I had a vision for like my next project. And I knew I wanted to shoot something with my brother this year. You know, like there was like a lot of things that weren't just, as I mentioned, the goal wasn't just to sell the script. I had like 10 goals for this project. So then it's like a bonus if we hit on a couple of them. And so that's why it's like, I don't want to tell people to put all their eggs in one basket. Cause like, you know, I'm doing this and then I'm thinking about like, if this doesn't pan out, like I want it, I want to be that person to be like, you know, refuses a no from people, you know, makes it so hard for people to say no, but I have to be realistic and I have to work on other stuff uh, in the meantime. So that like, if they ask me, Oh, this isn't right for me. This isn't right for us. But what else do you have that I actually have other stuff in case? Cause like, I want to be employed in this industry. So uh, I think, yeah, you have to be strategic about it. And if it makes sense based on all those things we talked about, yes, do it, but don't just do it to do it. I think that's why a lot of people make shorts just to be like, I want to go to the film festivals and rub elbows. And it's like, it's fucking expensive and tiring if you do it the right way. And it's too much for you to just do it, just to do it. Like, I think that's, you know, I don't know. Like if if you can get away with that, I know a lot of trust fund kids have like, more credit to you know whatever power to you whatever like you have all the power already but I genuinely think like you really need to be strategic about like um proof of concepts because it's a, a big investment and um of time and energy and yeah and it's not right for everyone it's not right for everyone insert an analogy for something else um clothes on dogs not right for everyone <laughs> you know like <laughs> Perfect. Some look great in it. Some look terrible. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone wants the budgeting spreadsheet that Megan called out earlier in this episode, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking out pod, where it and many other templates for pre-production for proof of concepts and beyond are available. Well, <laughs> and with that, <laughs> thank you so much for being here, yeah, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having this podcast exist. I like you cover on so many topics where I'm like, yes talk about that thing because <laughs> like it's fucking hard and and I, I like that y'all don't sugarcoat it and you're just honest and yeah because there's enough people giving you bullshit advice about breaking in that's like why didn't you get viral on McSweeney's and I'm like yeah because that's within my control well we're we're delighted that you're now one of our within our, our community of friends of the pod yep you're you're one of our no bullshitters welcome to the friends of the pod <laughs> Booby heads, if you're in Austin, let's meet up. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, who are our $10 supporters on Patreon. That's Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or you want to have access to all of our bonus resources related to each and every podcast episode we post for free, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. Next episode, we'll be discussing our favorite tropes in TV and movies. Be sure to tune in. <laughs>